Hi, I'm Dr. Anushka Marotra, an NHS GP and mum of two. I'm passionate about lifestyle medicine and supporting people to achieve health and happiness. After having my own children, I went through many changes myself. This made me acutely aware of the needs of new parents. In my experience as a doctor, I've noticed that new parents find it difficult to get the support they need and access trusted information. I started the Postnatal Health Podcast to discuss how to be healthy when you have kids and to share this information with as many families as possible. This week, I'm talking to Sarah Bushell, aka the Children's Nutritionist. She's an experienced child nutritionist in the NHS and also has her own private clinic. We'll be talking about baby weaning and how healthy eating habits early on can have a positive impact on the whole family's nutrition. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us today on the Postnatal Health Podcast. It's my pleasure. Um, I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about what you do and and some general advice about um, nutrition for young children and families. Um, Just before we start uh, with that, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself um, and um, some of the work that you do? Yeah, certainly. So I'm a paediatric dietitian. Um, I've actually been working 22 years this year, um, working with families in the NHS, um, supporting everyone from birth right through till about 18 years of age. Um, But as well as that, I also run my own business, which is called The Children's Nutritionist, um, where I help mums of young children, so babies who are weaning and toddlers who are going through the fussy eating stage and just um, generally helping parents get the food and feeding part right in those early years. Um, so you mentioned that you, you know, one of the things that you do in your job is helping families with babies learning yes. to wean. Um, so I thought it would be quite helpful to start with what your thoughts are about when a baby is ready to wean because I know sure. that if there is some quite good guidance out there but I think a lot of parents get um, different advice from different people not necessarily from health professionals so it'd be great to hear your advice on that yeah really. sure so um, I think the confusion lies when we start talking about age and, and what age the baby should be and actually so the guidelines yeah. say around six months but I think the key word there is around because all babies develop yeah. at different rates don't they um, and so actually mm-hmm. there's there's three developmental milestones that I um, I recommend parents look out for um, which usually kick yeah. in at around the six month stage. So the first one is that the baby's got a stable base. And by that, what we mean is they can sit for a couple of seconds on their own, unaided, without wobbling yeah. over. Um, and okay. what we know is that when babies have this core stability, there's a much lower risk of um, choking on food. So that's really, really important from a safety point of view. Um And then the second developmental um, milestone that we look out for is having hand-eye coordination. Um, So by that, what I mean is that the baby is picking up their toys and bringing them up towards their mouths to explore. So once they're doing that routinely, that's another sign that they're ready for weaning. 
And then the, the third one is okay. the absence of the tongue thrust reflex. And actually, this is the one that I get the most questions about from my social media followers. But essentially, yeah. when, when you put something towards the baby's mouth, if they're not ready to accept food, they'll just push that back out. So a little test that I often suggest parents do is that they use a very clean weaning spoon or the tip of a clean finger and just bring it up towards baby's bottom lip. And if baby then pushes their tongue forward, you know that they're not quite ready. But actually, if they open their mouths and they accept whatever goes in, then that tongue thrust reflex has gone. Yeah. Um, so they're the three okay. sort of developmental things. There's also a fourth sign um, that I talk about, um, and that's actually a nutritional one. So it's not a developmental one at all. But what we find sometimes is that if babies get to that six month mark and they don't have all three developmental signs, sometimes we suggest that they start with some smooth purees anyway. And that's because from around six months or so, breast milk and formula milk's just not nutritionally adequate anymore. Um, So there's certain nutrients that babies need at this time um, that they just can't get from breast and formula. And so it's really important just to start a a very gentle introduction of solids so that by the time, you know, the two or three weeks in, we can start offering them a bit more of a, a varied and diverse weaning diet. That's really interesting. So um, you're saying that um, from six months, the milk, even though it, it, most of our calories come as a baby come from the milk, yes. it's still um, beneficial for them to be having some of those solids. Yes. And can I ask what, what aspects of the nutrition in yeah. the milk isn't quite enough from that six months? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the sort of main one really is iron. So iron is a mineral that's needed for um, the formation of red blood cells and red blood cells carry oxygen to the brain. So it actually has quite a huge effect on brain development. Um, And we know that babies who don't get enough iron, it can actually impair their cognitive development and intellect and things like that. So it's really important to get that one right. Um, And breast milk is quite low in iron, um, but um, the iron that it does contain is really, really well absorbed by the baby's body. Um, And babies are actually born with quite a nice store of of iron and it lasts till around about six months or so. And then actually they they need to then have it supplemented in their food. So the types of foods that we'd be looking at as as first foods really and this often comes as a surprise to parents are things like red meat so things like beef and lamb are actually a really good first food to think about introducing to your baby oh really yeah Yeah. um dark poultry meat is good um Mm. egg yolk is another good one and then um you've also got iron in non-meat forms as well or non-animal forms so things like um fortified cereals so they often fortify breakfast cereals with iron um yeah and then things like nut butters um tofu and lentils and dried fruit also contain iron so we're looking at having a variety of different sources of iron from quite early on in in weaning um because Mm. of that um and then the other... So what about green vegetables? Sorry. Sorry yeah. To Sarah. No, that's all right. Mm. Um, yeah, so green vegetables do contain some iron. Um, not quite as much yeah. as we were led to believe when we were children and, and Popeye yeah. eating his spinach. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> because it was interesting story actually i think what they found was that someone put the decimal point in the wrong place when they were originally measuring how much iron uh, spinach contained um, oh wow so yeah so actually uh, you know as time's gone on and we've reanalyzed foods we've realized that it probably doesn't contain as much iron as we originally thought it did but certainly yeah. you can get some iron from your green leafy vegetables um yeah that isn't as absorbed as well in the body um as the meat yeah. sources and so you need to have like a vitamin c rich food like a fruit um yeah. alongside that in order to enhance that absorption and I was also going to ask, I don't know if you can, if you know, but I can imagine that if um, iron is one of the nutrients that babies need a lot more, mm. a lot of mums especially would think, well, I might have lost iron during the delivery or I might be taking iron supplements myself. So is that going to, is that going to either negatively or positively impact on the baby yeah it does actually so um we know that mums who uh, babies were born early and didn't get to lay down that those iron stores in that last trimester they they will need yeah. it sooner than six months um and often uh, premature babies are on an iron supplement for that reason um mm-hmm. if the if the cord was clamped early so that can yeah. that can reduce the amount of iron that babies actually get after they're delivered um yeah. mums who smoke um their babies don't get as much iron as well so there's there's lots of different reasons that um that might affect babies iron um stores i guess um yeah. supplements will help so when you're pregnant often if if you are anemic um your gp or pediatrician not pediatrician so your doctor midwife yes or yeah. midwife will recommend an iron supplement for that very reason so that some of the yeah. iron that you need is also being passed on to the baby as well great and and then talking about supplements mm. um do you have any uh, thoughts or advice on routine supplementation for babies yeah so from birth we recommend vitamin d um so vitamin d although it's called a vitamin it's actually a hormone and you don't really get it from food sources so we do recommend that babies have vitamin d um it comes from sunlight um and then from six months they also should have a and c as well vitamins a c and d um and a lot of the supplements that you can um buy for babies contain all three in in the right amounts um, if okay. your baby's on formula, it's often already added to the formula, so you don't need a separate supplement. It's just been included anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when the milk volume drops under 500 mils or 20 ounces or so per day, that's when we often say, you know what, now is a good time to start introducing that supplement just to just to guarantee they're getting what they need. Yeah, because it was. I thought it was quite interesting that between my two children, I've got a four-year-old and a seven-month-old, mm the advice changed and it became that like you say routinely all the babies from birth are now given the vitamin d yes and my health visitor gave me a, a bottle of um that mixture of vitamins um yeah. which has like you say the vitamin a and c um and so that, so i i actually wasn't aware before that babies under six months also don't produce vitamin d in the same way from sun exposure obviously you shouldn't put a baby in the sun for sun exposure anyway um so so i thought that was quite an interesting change and it made me kind of rethink as well about 
supplementation for for children so that's really helpful mm, um, yeah advice that you've given around that and and kind of just linking with what we were talking about before about weaning and babies needing iron yes um, so because that supplement that we've mentioned doesn't have iron in it no so any thoughts about routine iron supplementation or would you think that's better to be getting from the food yeah so that's it's interesting actually so my colleagues in in, in america for example they do routinely yeah. supplement iron um what we know is that iron supplements are really poorly absorbed in the body so actually your your baby will wee and poo out um, the vast majority of that so you need to take quite a large dose in order to get um, a little bit being absorbed um, we also know that iron from um, we call it a heme source so that's from animal products so meat egg yolks yeah. um, that's really well absorbed in the body so um, my advice is to once your baby gets to sort of around seven months and they're having um, meals as opposed to just single tastes of food my advice is yeah. to try and aim for iron rich food twice a day um, or if they're vegetarian or vegan then we want to have them at every meal so three times a day great that actually very nicely leads me on to one of the topics I wanted to ask you about which is uh, vegetarian or vegan diets for babies and, and toddlers especially around the weaning age yeah what your thoughts are on that if it's safe or if it's even beneficial yeah so I think um it's not an easy diet to do in terms of making sure that your little one gets the wide variety of nutrients that they need so I, I wouldn't call it beneficial um mm. So the the actual healthy eating for babies is actually very, very different to healthy eating for adults. Yeah. So, for example, they need a really high fat diet. So around about 50 yeah. percent of all of their energy comes from fat, which is a huge amount compared to yeah. what we would we would eat. Um, yeah, I think you can um, have a um a nutritionally balanced vegetarian diet fairly easily um so for example one of the things we'd do would, would be looking to make sure that you do have the, those iron rich foods at every meal um yeah with a vegan um diet that's slightly more complicated so mm. we are we're we're protein's usually not an issue but the plant milks are very low in protein and there yeah. isn't an infant formula that's actually suitable for vegans at the moment. Um, even the mm. soya formula, the vitamin D source comes from um, from sheep's wool. So, oh, so right. breastfeeding is really the only true milk that a vegan baby should have. And actually, yeah. because nutrition is so important, what we would say is they really need to continue up until the age of two um, for that yeah. reason. Um, that's yeah. not to say that you can't use the plant milks in cooking so you could add it to dishes you could put put it in cereal that kind of thing but it can't replace yeah. breast milk until until that yeah. age um so and as well as um iron being an issue um energy can be quite low um mm. because because of that really high energy need um and a lot of uh vegan foods are plant-based and plant-based foods tend to traditionally be quite low in in energy anyway yeah um yeah and then there's a there's a few other key nutrients that are only found in animal foods so for example vitamin b12 um can be limiting yeah. um iodine yeah. that tends to be found in in milk um calcium yeah. can be a bit low as well um selenium can be low um 
omega-3 that's an interesting one as well so omega-3 i think traditionally we think of omega-3 coming from oily fish and um yeah and and actually that is the best source in terms of your baby's body being able to utilize that yeah but you can get omega-3 in um nuts and seeds so things like chia for example and hemp um, yeah. linseeds they're really good source of omega-3 but it's a different type of omega-3 to um, what your baby's body actually needs so there's a, a conversion process that has to happen inside the body and yeah. we know that the conversion is quite poor so um, one of the things I often I always recommend to vegan families is to look for an algal oil supplement um, for, to provide that omega-3 and, and that's basically yeah. a, a supplement that contains um, the same type of omega-3 that fish oil has but it comes from algae and the reason yeah. why oily fish contain such good levels of this is because they eat the algae in the first place so it's almost like cutting out the middleman yeah. in a way <laughs> definitely oh yeah I think I read something around that it's, it's interesting yeah um, I think it's so uh, there's so many um misconceptions and there's a lot of information around about nutrition and diet in in general which I think people can find quite confusing I'm hearing from you that what a baby needs is different to what an adult needs as you said you know a plant-based diet is um, often very highly recommended for adults but Mm. for some of the reasons that you said you know it's quite low in energy and low Mm. energy density which is useful in the general adult population but even for adults so those vitamins that you mentioned iodine um omega-3 yeah uh, iron b12 are ones that we always look out for in adults as well who are vegan yes um, and so you know hearing what you're saying about you know the energy density the the nutrients that the babies need um, and the kind of food that's beneficial for iron for babies as well. It's quite interesting mm-hmm. to hear what's healthy for a baby and what's useful and how to supplement or not compared to uh, an adult as well. And that, yeah, that slightly links with what I was thinking about in family eating, you know, mm. cooking as a family, eating as a family, um, and I suppose how that links in um, especially if as a family you are vegetarian or vegan or have a specific diet and, mm. and how, you, um, how you can eat, cook and eat together. Yeah. I was wondering if you had any advice or thoughts from for your experiences working with families about that in general. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'm all for family, family eating together. I think that's really important. A big part of my job is around feeding as, as well as the nutrition yeah. side of things. Um, yeah, I think that I think the key thing is to work with a nutrition professional, whether that's a registered dietitian that you could access via the NHS or a registered nutritionist who's got experience in paediatrics. Um, but essentially what what you need to do is you need to tailor your diet. So you'll be making little tweaks here and there. So what you might yeah. present on the table for the family might be slightly adapted for a baby or a toddler. Um, yeah, we'd definitely be looking at supplementation. So, um, and you as you would with adults as well. So, there's a range of different supplements we would look at for babies, for toddlers, and and different ones again yeah. for adults. But yes, supplementation's absolutely part of that. Um, yeah. it's not impossible to follow a vegan diet for for a baby. It just needs a little bit of careful planning. 
Um, And I think what you said earlier about plant-based diets, I think that's really interesting because um, plant-based isn't necessarily vegan. It's just there's more meat-free days. And actually, that's Mm -hmm. a really great way of eating. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's a much... um, It's a much more balanced way of doing it, but it's also great for sustainability and the planet and all of that as well. So I'm all for plant-based. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a big misconception, isn't it? Plant-based yes. equals vegan, but it's not. It's, so that's that's great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny because you know, as a family, we ha- we all have a different taste. <laughs> if I'm honest with you, my husband and my daughter have slightly different tastes to me. Yeah. I from, I'm from an Indian background, so I do really like having spicy food or yeah. curries. And uh, so, so both for my daughter, but now also for my baby if I'm making something like that, I start cooking it all together. Mm. And then at the point where spices are added, I separate it. Okay. So I have a smaller pan and I'm cooking it alongside, doing almost exactly the same thing. I'm just not adding as many or any spices to it yeah. um, so that it's palatable for the for the kids. Um, and, and I found that there are a few different meals like that that I can just basically cook almost exactly the same. But just if there's a point where there's something where I don't think that, the children would like it because it's very spicy or there's I don't know something some ingredient in it that I don't think they should have then it's just I'm, I'm not cooking a separate yes. meal I'm just cooking alongside absolutely <laughs> and and I think um in those well in fact right up until your child leaves home to be honest with you they're still learning about eating and they're still learning about food um and yeah. the, one of the best ways they can learn is by eating together because ultimately you as the parent are their biggest role model so if they see you eating yeah. something then they're more likely to want to eat it themselves um yeah and the way you've described that you you cook in one meal you might have it in you, you might present it on the table so we call that family style serving where you have all the separate components of the meal presented in the middle of the table um, and yeah. everyone helps themselves to the part that they want and what's great about that is you've got something there that you know that they like already because they're familiar with it you might also have something on the table that they're they've seen before they've they're aware of it but they don't yet like it so they're kind of still learning to like it and then yeah. I often say to families put something new on the table as well you know use every mealtime as an as an uh, an occasion to teach your child about food so there's something they like something they're learning to like and then there's something that they don't like yet because they haven't experienced yeah. it yet um yeah and then and, and the other thing about eating together is um it's it, it, um have you heard of the division of responsibility in feeding no. Shall I explain a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that defines um, the parent's role when it comes to feeding and also the child's role. And it's a model that's based in trust. Um, and it sits around with the, the, the diplomatic parenting style. And the, there's a there's an element of that called food parenting. But essentially mm-hmm. what that is, is it's where the child grows up in an environment where there's boundaries and limits, but not controlling and there's a regular yeah. routine, a predictable routine for meals and snacks. So there's no scarcity or there's no um, overindulgence. Um, meals yeah. and snacks are planned, I guess. Um, yeah. And essentially, the parent's role in feeding is to decide on the what, the where and the when. So the what would be what you're eating, so your meal plan, um, your snack plan. 
the where would yeah. be whether you're eating at the kitchen table today or whether you're um, taking a picnic to the park to the where part yeah and then the when is your routine so breakfast or mid-morning snack lunch that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then that's it the parent's role is done they don't need to do anything else and then the child's role is to decide and you can do this right from the start of if you particularly if you're baby led weaning um so the child's role is to decide first of all if to eat so they some days they might not um i'm sure with a four-year-old you're aware that some days they eat and some days they don't um yeah and also importantly when they when they do start eating allowing them to decide how much they want to eat and and when they've had enough so often in in my practice um parents come to me when their children have got into like a food refusal or fussy eating stage and Mm. quite often it's because they've they've crossed streams with this um this division of responsibility in feeding so when the parent is trying to be in charge of the, the child's role so the parent might be saying um oh you haven't had your broccoli or please can you take two more bites of your chicken that kind of thing and actually it's the child's job to decide how much and that's when fussy eating um tends to tends to get worse actually um so so one of the first things i often look at is um making sure that they they are sticking to their lanes so each each the parent and the child are doing their own jobs and trying not to to cross over um which I think is easier said than done because at the end of the day yeah. as parents we want to nourish our children it's you know it's something that we have this huge desire to do um and yet when we try to encourage them to eat because we want to get food into them we don't want them waking up in the night with hunger we don't want them catching every cold and bug going when they go to nursery so we really want to nourish our children um but actually when we when we're asking them to eat something we're putting pressure on them and pressure switches off appetite and that just makes fussy eating even worse that's really interesting i hadn't heard that um that parenting uh style before and uh, also yeah i can you know just listening to how you're (laughs) describing it sounds sounds great but i know yeah i can hear even in my family definitely um (laughs) how how you might start with the great uh, idea you're going to do this, yeah. but then you're sitting at the table with a four-year-old, they haven't eaten anything, and it's been half an hour, you're like, oh, come on, <laughs> please yeah. eat something. Um, but but I also can see absolutely the benefit of, well, if you know you've got a snack time coming up later and you're controlling the what, yes. so making sure it's a healthy snack, then then they're going to eat something and they'll be eating something healthy whereas absolutely um, and and you can be quite clever with that so if they've had if they've if they've come to the table at lunchtime and they haven't eaten anything or they've picked it a few bits you can adapt that snack that might be in you know two and a half three hours time to contain two or three different food groups so it's something a little bit more nourishing for them um and there's there's loads of reasons why um children or and toddlers in particular don't eat you know a lot of it's down to how much energy they've expended that day so if it's been a day where they've been running around the park they're going to be hungrier but if it's a day where it's been raining and they've sat inside most of the day they're not going to want to eat as much so you know there's there's loads of different reasons why toddlers don't eat so well yeah no that's that's really a really helpful tip it kind of made me think, you know, you mentioned that you can start this type of thing even from when you are weaning or from a young baby. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'd be quite interested to chat about 
the difference or what your thoughts are about baby led weaning versus kind of pureed spoon fed we- weaning um, yeah. is, is there is there a preference or any kind of advice around that yeah so um so my preference if i'm honest with you is a combination of the two so yeah. i think when you're first starting out with weaning um you want to get your baby used to lots of different flavors and tastes and and textures of food and they yeah. at that stage they they're not going to have you know a huge um amount of skill to be able to do that themselves so spoon feeding in the early stages can be really helpful because you know that the nutrition's gone in you know that you've got your iron box ticked for example and you can offer lots of different tastes and flavors what we know with baby led wieners is by the time they all all babies get to their first birthday they're all eating a very similar diet and taking in a similar amount of nutrition but baby led wieners Mm -hmm. take quite a long time to get there whereas the spoon wieners to that sort of nutritional stage a lot sooner so there's a little bit of um i guess it's assurance from a nutritional perspective with spoon feeding um having said that if you're going down the traditional route um with purees by six and a half months i always say to families you want to start offering finger foods at that point um yeah and that's quite important for the hand-eye coordination but also to help them develop the self-feeding skills because yeah. ultimately once they get to sort of well it can be as early as eight months but sort of around nine ten months or so we want babies to be self-feeding um, yeah. and part of that is because um, that teaches them how to regulate their appetite so they're learning how to manage their hunger and fullness cues um, they're learning that when they get that horrible feeling you get when you're hungry if you eat food it takes that feeling away so we're, yeah. we're wanting them to, to learn that. And by doing it themselves, that puts them in control of their, of going back to the division of responsibility, the, the how much part they're in charge of, of all of that. So if you're baby led weaning, you can do all of this from the start. If you're doing a combined approach um, from about six and a half months, you want to start introducing it. And by sort of nine, ten months of age, you really want to be encouraging your baby to self feed um, anyway. So um, and would, hmm. would you say that with the combined feeding, is it each meal that there's a com- combination of yes. spoon fed and baby led? Yes, absolutely. So a lot of eating and drinking is skill. And so we want to give them as many opportunities as we can to practice those skills. Um, One of the problems we sometimes do see is um, those who've been baby led weaned, who have never experienced a puree, don't know how to manage that texture. And so, um, yeah. yeah. And so I often say to mums, you know, even if you're baby led weaning, give them a pot of yogurt and a spoon and let them experience that sort of puree texture yeah the only other thing that I had particularly wanted to ask about but it's quite a big subject (laughs) so we may not be able to go into it in great depth was about allergies yeah because I as a GP get a lot of families coming in asking about allergies I mean from pre-weaning um to do with cow's milk protein allergies and things like that but around the weaning stage it's honestly where I find that a little bit more tricky as well Mm. um and there's you know there's been a lot from my point of view there's been a lot more around that a lot more kind of um 
information around that we've mm. got more access to clinics and and like you know nhs um dietitians like yourself but that's why it'd be quite helpful um yeah to to hear a little bit from you maybe a summary about kind of things to look out for or, or what parents often are worried about and yeah. what they can do Absolutely. It's interesting, actually, because um, I, I surveyed my social media followers a, a couple of months ago and up until recently, yeah. their biggest fear had been around choking. But actually, it's changed now. It is around allergies. So it's definitely something that people are more aware of and, and more fearful of. Yeah. Um, so if a baby already has an allergy like cow's milk protein allergy um, or they have severe eczema that requires steroids, they are slightly they are at a higher risk of developing a, a food allergy during weaning. Um, but often parents will ask if they have an allergy themselves. So, for example, if they're allergic to peanuts, will my baby also be allergic to peanuts? And that's not necessarily the case. Um, so, yes, they are at slightly higher risk of developing a allergy, but they're not as high risk as having eczema or already having a food allergy. Um, yeah. So what I advise them to do is um, in between six months or when they start weaning, in fact, and their first birthday is to introduce um, all of the allergen foods. And in particular, I ask them to do egg first um, then mm-hmm. peanut, and then after that, they can move on to all the other allergens in in any order that suits them really. Yeah. Um, and the other allergens are are what we call tree nuts. So by tree nuts, we mean things like almond, cashew, um, and then things like walnuts, Brazil nuts, pecans, and hazelnuts. So almond and cashew, you can get nice nut butters, but the other ones are not yeah. so um, obvious. So they might need to be grinding those down and, and stirring them into yogurts and things like that in order to expose them to those foods. Yeah. Um, and then the other allergens that they need to work through are wheat. So that could be in the form of pasta or bread or couscous or breakfast cereal. That's how we would probably yeah. do wheat. And then sesame, mm-hmm. which would be something like hummus or tahini. It's yeah. actually the tahini paste that's in in, um, in hummus yeah. that contains the sesame. And then fish and seafood, um, they're the other ones that we want to introduce. And um, we'd ask them to introduce one allergen at a time um, yeah. alongside a normal weaning diet so I have had some families where they don't offer them any other food that day apart from the allergen and that's that's not right it needs to be a, a part of their normal diet so they're having all of the other foods that they already eat and then they have one yeah. new food and al- the, one of the yeah. allergens um, and yeah. then wait a couple of days and then they can move on to the next allergen if they want to do it that way or they can space it out a bit longer if they want that part's up to them really um yeah. And the other thing what I say is, they... sorry, 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 you go, you finish. <laughs> the the other thing I say to them is once they've introduced an allergen um, and the baby's been fine with that, they need to continue offering that food as part of the normal weaning diet because that helps them just build a tolerance against um, all all allergenic foods, but also it provides nutrition as well. It gives them even yeah. more nutrients and diversity of the diet, which is really important yeah yeah definitely so what happens if they do have some kind of reaction to one of the allergens yeah absolutely so the kind of things that we ask them to look out for might be things like um vomiting um diarrhea 
um, developing a wheeze that can be quite quick onset um, or a rash yeah. or um, sometimes you get breathing difficulties and swelling that's quite rare um, mm. and then longer term things might be things like um, making reflux worse if baby's already had reflux for a while the reflux might get worse and things like yeah. poor growth as well um, eczema might get worse that sort of thing mm. and actually constipation that can be linked into into um, allergies so um, I I have a uh, online baby nutrition and weaning course and one of the things I do is I give them like a checklist so they can write down um, all of the allergens that they've offered the dates and then there's room to just monitor symptoms so if it's an immediate reaction it's going to be within the first half an hour if it's a delayed reaction yeah. it could be two to three days later so there's um, yeah. just space a diary I guess it is just to keep an eye on those um, allergens um, yeah and, and and then if families are really really worried so if they're if they think that their little one is very high risk um, then they can see uh they can go and see their gp who might refer them on to an allergy um clinic so that yeah. they can be tested in advance of trying these foods and that's fine um yeah. and then and then obviously if the baby does react they don't want to offer that food again they need to avoid that go see gp who would probably then refer them on to a dietitian is that what yeah. you would do yeah and then we yeah, look at yeah, doing yeah. a food challenge and confirming the diagnosis um or doing skin prick tests um and then that dietitian would probably stay with them until their baby is sort of worn even a, a bit yeah. older to reintroduce older. those foods. Yeah. So often we find, Sarah, is that there's quite a long waiting time between there the is. point of referral and being able to be seen in the hospital um, mm. by either the paediatrician or the paediatric dietitian. Um, and so is there any particular advice that you would give to families in that waiting period about that that particular allergen what what to do about it yeah it's you're absolutely right it's a it's a real big problem um and i get lots of inquiries from families saying the same thing you know they've been given a telephone appointment but their baby will be nine months by then what do i do um so i think it's really hard um because a lot of the advice that you need to give the families does need to be personalised and so Mm. there's only so much that you can point them towards online. Um, Yeah. However, um, the... um, Sorry, I've just lost my train of thought there. It's okay. (laughs) No problem. Um, Yeah, so there's lots of... There's lots of advice that you can give online. So, for example, there's the... um, British Society of Clinical Immunology and Allergy have some really nice guidelines that are linked, um, written specifically for parents as well as healthcare professionals. Um, People like myself have blogs and things like that. Um, But I would say is you you probably do need some personalised advice that's specific to your child. Um, And so would you... Would you be able to generally say to avoid that allergen until you've got that personalised advice? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what happens in my area, actually, is that the child is often referred, first of all, to a paediatrician who might say to avoid the allergy for four weeks, the allergen, sorry, for four weeks or so, and then re-challenge, particularly if it's uh, a non-life-threatening allergy. So it's something like... um, 
vomiting or diarrhea or something like that or, or worsening of eczema and that rechallenge often happens without the support of a pediatric dietitian and then if it, if the challenge then confirms that the child does have an allergy then you can then um, avoid that food until your uh, referral to the dietitian comes through often what we're, what we're doing at the moment in the nhs is we're doing group sessions um it's a bit like mm. a presentation and they talk through how to follow so for example if it was cow's milk protein how to follow a cow's milk protein free diet um yeah. and then how to reintroduce um we follow something called the milk ladder which is a gradual build-up of cooked um proteins and it's 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 the way that the milk is presented, it's presented inside other foods and other proteins. So there's a bit of a science to it, really. Um, yeah. So we give that advice out as as groups, so people don't have to wait for ages. There's usually a group that's once great. a month or so. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, I think that's already that's really helpful. You know, for people in the in the interim time periods when they're. Mm knowing when to go and get a referral and knowing what to do while they're waiting for that referral as well. That's really helpful. Um, yeah. I think it can be a bit of a minefield for, for families and also for health professionals as well. Um, so that's really helpful, Sarah. Um, I think we've talked about lots of information and I know there's, <laughs> there's probably so much more that we could keep chatting for ages. Um, but it's been, I found it as a mum really, really helpful to hear some of the um, advice that you've given around weaning. Good, but good. like I say, also as a GP, I found it helpful to, to, to um, thinking about the patients that come and see me and the families that need help. Great. It's been really useful and clear advice. So thank you so much for um, talking to me today. That's my pleasure. Um, just, just before we finish, I just wanted to... Um, double check with you you mentioned that you have uh, you've got a social media account and you've got a website um so just wondering uh, we'll put the information in the bio of the podcast but where can mm. people find you if they wanted to contact you for any kind of personal advice yeah thanks very much for asking um so my website is childrensnutrition.co.uk um i'm on social media instagram's my main one as the children's nutritionist um facebook yeah. as well i have a I have a facebook group if people want to join that which is focused on um weaning and and also toddlers actually we talk quite a lot about toddlers and feeding as well in there um and yeah you can you can find me there great well thank you sarah um it's been a pleasure talking to you today and thanks for joining us thank you so much for having me